So last week we started this series called Sowing. And the major points from last week was that everything we have comes from a source, right? Who is our source? Is it this world? Is it the government? Is it your job? I mean, I appreciate what we get from our jobs. I appreciate all this. But at the root of everything, who is our source? Can we say it together without any prompting? Let's see. You ready? One, two, three. God. That's really good. The answer is God. Let's say it again. Who is our source? One, two, three. God. Let's say God is my source. You ready? God is my source. Getting everybody moving today, right? Getting our blood flowing. God is our source. Everything we have belongs to him, right? The word that the Bible uses, the word that Paul uses to talk about us as believers is stewards, right? We are stewards. If you ever watch Lord of the Rings, man, I'm a huge nerd. In, in Return of the King, you meet the steward of Gondor because the king uh, has not returned yet. That's what that whole book is about. It wasn't his kingdom. He was just the steward. He wasn't the king. He was the steward. This guy did not steward well. It did not end well for him. But what steward means is that we operate something that doesn't belong to us. And when it comes to finances, we are stewards. How about this one? When it comes to our children, we are stewards, right? Ava Jo, my 16-year-old, is about to get her driver's license. And I got to tell you, in the flesh... It gets a little bit nerve-wracking thinking about your 16-year-old pulling out of that driveway for the first time by herself. I know there's a lot of parents in this room that have already been through this. You know what I'm talking about. There's parents that haven't gone through this. You will know what I'm talking about. But here's what Lisa and I keep reminding ourselves. She is our daughter. But really, she's also the, God's daughter. She doesn't belong to us. She belongs to him. And one day we'll release her even into to marriage. And then she really belongs not to us, right? Then it's really hands off. But we have to trust, man, you are loved even more than we love you by your Father in heaven. When we're not in the car with her, she's still not alone. God is in there with her. So we steward even our children and we can do it well or we can do it not so well. Right? We steward our finances and we can steward well or not so well. If you caught anything from last week, that's awesome. If not, here's a quick two-line summary. I say it quite a bit, but this is the summary that when it comes to stewarding finances, it's as easy as asking the Lord, what out of this money belongs as seed in the ground? What do I give and what do I put on my table as bread? What do I feed my family with? He won't leave you hanging. You won't miss a meal and you won't miss a harvest, right? Of receiving. Not only does this truth apply to finances, it applies to everything in life. If you need better time management or if you look at your life and you think I just don't have enough time to do everything I need to do, man, get with the Lord. Say, how do I manage my time better? And here's what he'll say. You have an hour in the morning. He won't maybe say this exactly, but it'll be something like this. You have an hour in the morning. Wake up earlier and spend an hour with me. Sow that time into our relationship. And then as you get home from work, spend the next half hour prepping dinner. Spend the next hour after that with your kids. If you listen to him, there'll be portions of your time 
that you give away as seed and portions of your time that God will say, now go have some alone time. I don't know how it's going to work, but he will tell you and you won't lack when you listen to him. When you steward your finances well, when you steward your time well, energy and effort, man, you only have so much energy. When you give people the energy that the Lord is saying to give and you're not overdoing it and you're giving him and you're giving your family, you won't miss out. So even though we're talking about sowing and reaping and a lot of time our mind goes to finances, this can be true of anything in your life. I don't need to look at your garden and ask you what fruit, what vegetables you planted. I look at the fruit and I say, you planted apples, you planted peaches, you planted pumpkins, you planted watermelons, right? Look at your life, take an honest assessment. What is the fruit you're seeing? If you don't see the time you need, maybe you're not sowing your time correctly, right? If you don't see the finances you need, maybe you're not sowing your finances. Maybe you're sowing your bread instead of putting it on the table. I told this testimony last week, but Lisa and I did that when we first got married. The reason I say one day will be the church that gives away 90% is because if we did it right now, we'd be experiencing lack. Lisa and I tried to give away 90% of our income when we got married because a friend of ours said he lived off 10% of his income and gave 90% away. And we were going broke fast. We were putting our bread in the ground and it doesn't produce anything. You got to put your bread on the table. You got to put your seed in the ground and watch it produce. And it can be as simple as asking the Lord. So that's last week's summary. Your stewards over everything you have, steward it well and you will see increase. That's all through the New Testament and, and the Old Testament. You'll find that truth. So today, what we're going to talk about, since now we know that everything we have is, belongs to the Lord, we just have to follow instructions, right? Here's what we're going to talk about. When we do sow, how do we sow well? Because there's a difference in just sowing and sowing well. If I have a handful of seed and I just throw it out into my yard, some of it's going to land on the sidewalk. Some of it's going to land in that weird area behind my shed that the people that lived there before us, I don't know what they did, but every time I cut grass, I find pieces of metal and glass and car parts and all kinds of stuff. I don't know how it shows up. It's like it's just constantly coming up from under the ground, right? But if I threw seed there, it probably wouldn't grow either. I want to take the seed I have and I want to sow it well. I want to put it where it belongs. I want to see a harvest. I don't want to waste the seed that God has given me. So here's a little exercise for today. Just to, to uh, for the sake of clarity, I'm going to talk about how to sow well. And the reference I'm going to keep going back to is finances. But you remember this applies to any area in your life. I'm talking about sowing financially or how we sow financially, but it also applies to how you can sow your time, your energy, your effort. This applies to everything, even though I'm going to keep on talking about finances. It's a great example. It's a great metaphor because we all, whether we like it or not, have to use this financial system that the world has created. That's why it's such a good example that we can use to talk about the truth of sowing and reaping. So how do we sow well? I got you a little process mapped out today. I love a good map. Ooh, if there's a place you gotta go. 
I'm the one you need to. Y'all did not do it right. If there's a place you got to go, I'm the one you got to know. I'm the map. Come on, you mamas know that song. I'm the map. I'm the map. I'm the map. There you go. If there's a place you got to go, I'm the one you got to know. I'm the map. If you don't know what that's from, you're going to have to Google it. It's from Jurassic Park. Y'all didn't even know that. Oh, so y'all do know that song, right? Y'all knew it wasn't from Jurassic Park. Just left me hanging up here singing by myself. If there's a pl No, we're not going to do it again. I love a good map. I love a good set of instructions. If you need help on Ikea furniture, ooh, I'm your guy. Because we will fight that furniture until it looks like it did on the floor. All we got to do is follow the instructions. And when they're weird and in Swedish, you get pictures. And it helps. So here's a little roadmap of how to sew well. Point one, step one, is start somewhere. Start somewhere. And when it comes to our life as believers, there's this principle called a tithe. We can start right there. In the book of Malachi, verse 3, chapter 10 through 12, this is a little reference here. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That means 10%. Bring 10% into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Have you ever put the Lord to the test? I know some believers that, that say that I would never test the Lord. I would never put him to the test. I can promise you, he's not nervous. If you put him to the test, there is not one part of the Lord that thinks, ooh, I hope I pass this one. It's all right. In fact, these words are inspired by him. He says, put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. I will guard them from insects and diseases. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So many times as humans, we look at the grapes, the produce. We look at the things and we think, oh, that's the blessing. But it's not. Those are great things. They're an outcome of the blessing. The blessing is that I will bring abundance to the things you're planting. I will bring abundance to the seeds you plant. In the Old Testament, man, you, it, when, 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 the, when the children of Israel walked in this blessing, they planted crops and they didn't grow like other people's crops. They produced an abundance that's still our blessing today. And here's what it starts with. Bring the tithes to the storehouse. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, Give and it shall be given unto you with the same measure you give, you'll receive. You plant seeds, you'll get a harvest. But with the same measure you give, you'll receive. If you don't plant seeds, how are you going to get a harvest? Are you going to sit around and just look at the ground till it produces something? You might get some surprise harvests. We, we were talking this morning. There's a, a couple here who's enjoying a surprise harvest of pumpkins. They didn't know there was pumpkins, but there's pumpkins coming up, right? But unless we're pleasantly surprised by something somebody else has put in the ground, if you want a harvest in your life, you have to put some seed in the ground. I can tell you from my very first job, my parents uh, instilled this principle of tithing and giving into me. I, I know I, I tithed off my first check that I ever got paid to cut grass. I tithed off of the first $10 I ever got as a birthday present. That is a part of my life. And I'm telling you, 
I've never made a giant salary, but I've never gone without. My family has been blessed abundantly. And do I think it's directly related to tithes and offerings? My simple answer is yes. Because when you look at what we have made on paper, we should not have been able and we shouldn't be able to be as, as blessed and to even give as much as we give. It doesn't make sense on paper, but we're givers, we're sowers, and because of that, we experience a harvest in our lives. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, God is the one, this is what I always quote, who gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. It can be that simple. I say it all the time, but it really can be that simple. There's a lot of people out there that will say different things about tithing, that uh, it's under the law or it's not under the law. And that is a relevant thing to talk about. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, Moses and the children of Israel received the literal law from God. It starts with the Ten Commandments, but boy, beyond the Ten Commandments, there's even more laws. I'm sure everybody in here has heard of that. The Ten Commandments, but there was actually hundreds and thousands of commandments that the children of Israel had to follow. Why was the law given? Because we needed somebody to come fulfill it. His name was Jesus. He did every part of that law. Does that mean the law is abolished and thrown away? No, it means it's fulfilled. There's a difference. The law, there's still a lot of good stuff in there. The law says all kinds of things like don't murder, don't commit adultery. Those are good things to not do, yeah. right? Have no other gods before me. That's a really good one to follow. So when it comes to giving, tithes, offerings, what did the law have to say? Well, it's an important thing here. Before the law was given, before Moses went up on the mountain and came down with the law, there was this moment in Genesis 14 when Abraham, the father of our faith, who lived before the law, the law did not make Abraham righteous. What made Abraham righteous? He believed. He believed the Lord, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham uh, found out his nephew Lot, man, so many stories, Lot was in trouble all the time. This dude was always getting in trouble. Abraham was always rescuing him. So Abraham's nephew Lot gets in trouble. He gets captured, his whole household, during this war. And Abraham finds out these Four kingdoms fought these other five kingdoms. So this nine kingdom war happens and Lot is one of the prisoners of war, his entire family. Well, Abraham hears about it. He knows he's blessed. So he gets his men, his household, and he goes and takes care of business. He goes and he defeats the enemies that won that war, right? Gets his nephew back. And as he and his men are riding out triumphantly from this battle, Two kings meet him in a field. One is King uh, Melchizedek. We don't know much about him, but he was known as the King of Salem, which is translated King of Peace. Uh, the Bible says Jesus was a king in the order of Melchizedek. It says he was a priest of God, so he knew the Lord. He had a relationship with God, and Abraham looked at, to him as a bit of a, a, a figure to look up to. And then also the king of Sodom met him in the field. The king of Sodom was one of the kingdoms who had lost. Abraham got all their stuff back. So Abraham meets these two kings in the field. Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And then it says, Abraham takes a tenth of everything he had and gave it to Melchizedek as a tithe, an offering. As he's giving a tenth of everything he has to Melchizedek, the king of Sodom, and you know, Sodom is one of the two cities that ended up getting destroyed because there was just so much corruption. The king of Sodom says, hey, everything I have, keep it all, but just give me my men back. And Abraham looks at him and says, I actually don't want anything from you. 
He said, I'm going to give you all your stuff back with the exception of the food my men have already eaten. He probably would have given that back too if the guy really would have wanted it, but nobody wants that, right? So he says, I'll give you back everything that we took because I would never want anybody to say it was the king of Sodom that made Abraham rich. He said, no, it was the Lord. It was the Lord, the God of the ages, Yahweh, who we sang about, the great I am who has given me everything I have. So he gave him everything back. The king of Sodom in this story is a great representation of the world. And Melchizedek represents the kingdom of God. And then we have a choice. We can live by the economy this world offers us, which gets shaken with every election, which gets shaken with every war, which gets shaken with every season of inflation, with every job change, with everything that just constantly moving and shaking. We can count on the world's economy to take care of us, or we can look to the kingdom of God, which never is shaken, which never changes, which is not based on anything other than the word of God, which stays the same. And we can say anything and everything I have is from this kingdom, the kingdom of God. I don't want anything that this world has to offer. That's what Abraham did in that field. And that's where the tithe started. It was before the law. And there's a blessing we read in Malachi. Remember? We just read it. If you bring your tithes, I will open the windows of heaven. Pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. So on and so forth. The law comes around and tithing is in the law. And it says, if you don't, you will be cursed. That's not good. Who wants to be cursed? Nobody. So what the law did is it came and gave a penalty for not tithing. Now, as Jesus fulfilled the law, what that means is instead of us being punished for our sin, which was the price for sin, he came, he fulfilled the law, and now his righteousness is accounted to us as believers. We don't pay the penalty for our sin anymore. He did. That applies to every other curse in the law. The curse everyone have been broken by the blood of Jesus. So where the principle of tithing existed before, during, and yes, after the law, what the law did was bring a punishment and a penalty for not doing it, which not every preacher will say this, but I'm going to say it. You will not have to pay a penalty and you won't be under a curse if you don't tithe because Jesus paid the price. He took the curse so anybody that's ever told you, if you don't bring 10% to your church, you're cursed. It's going to go bad for you. I heard somebody tell me they grew up and actually heard a preacher say that if you don't pay your tithes, you will get in a car accident because God's going to get his money. Meaning, I guess the money you pay for the car accident would eventually somehow go to God. I don't know how that works. I don't consider the hospitals uh, gods or, or the car dealerships gods, but I guess some people do, right? Uh, that is a bad, bad, bad teaching, yeah. right? If anybody tells you you're under a curse as a believer for anything, man, Jesus broke every curse. And now we are free where the spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. There is freedom. That's not just empty words. That's not just a cheerleader phrase that we can sing in worship to get happy and excited. No, that is the word of God. And it is not, uh, it does not have limitations. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So what was under the law 
was the curse for not tithing. What is true before, during, and after the law is that when we do tithe, when we do sow seeds, we will be blessed for it. We will and have a chance to receive a glorious inheritance. And it starts with putting seed in the ground. So tithing is a great place to start with giving. You will experience blessings. And hey, if you've never done it, what did the Lord say in the book of Malachi? He said, test me, try it. Test me and see if I don't come through. Man, if you've never done this, I'm not going to put pressure on you and say, do it right now. What I'm going to say is go home, pray about it. If you're married, get with your spouse. Say, hey, what do you think Pastor BJ was talking about? Do you think it's real? Do you think it's legit that if we tithe, if we give 10% of what we have to the Lord, do you really think we're going to see blessings? See what happens. Y'all have a discussion. Come back, talk about it. But tithing is a great place to start giving. It's a great place. And don't forget, this is another reminder. I'm going to give you a few of these. Yes, I'm talking about this when it comes to finances. It's easy to think about. What is 10% of $10? $1. What is 10% of $1,000? $100. But this also applies to everything in your life. Have you ever thought about tithing your time? Have you ever thought about taking a portion of, 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 your, of, of what you have to give during the day and saying, Lord, I'm going to give this to you. What does that look like? It'll look different for every single one of us. But have you ever thought about that? Think about it. Start to think about it. What does it look like to take 10% of not just finances, but everything you have and say, Lord, this is for you. I'm going to put this in the ground. So how do we sow well? Step one, start somewhere. And I think it's a great place to start with a tithe. There is a blessing on a tithe and you can experience it. Number two. All right. So we got step one, start somewhere, start with the tithe. And then we got a little something that comes up every once in a while. What about giving even beyond a tithe? Well, I can tell you from experience, Lisa and I do that. We give to all kinds of different ministries even. We give to, to all kinds of good works. How do we do it? Here's a way to do it well. This is from, uh, well, we'll get to this verse here in a second. It's from 2 Corinthians. But purpose in your heart. You know, life is better when nothing catches you off guard. The Bible says, be ready in season and out of season. And there are times when out of season, things come up and we can prepare for that even when we don't know they're coming up by purposing in our heart. Think through how you would uh, do things. Here, here's a great equation. Well, I'm going to read this verse first and then I got something kind of funny, but it's a great example to tell you about. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses six through nine. But this I say, he would sow sparingly shall also reap sparingly and he which sow bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man according as he purpose in his heart, let him give. So how do we, are we instructed to give? Is Paul telling us give a thousand dollars? No. Is he saying give a hundred dollars? No. Is he saying give half your day to the Lord? No. He's saying purpose in your heart. And as a believer, we don't just purpose in our own heart alone. Remember, you got the Holy Spirit. You got this relationship with the Lord. You can bring him on it. And you say, Lord, 
I want to give how much purpose in your heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you're given grudgingly and out of necessity, if I don't give, I'll be cursed. Tear that down. It's not true. If I don't give here, I'm going to miss out. Listen, don't give begrudgingly. Don't give out of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. So when we give cheerfully and purpose in our heart, instead of being caught off guard, there's an offering, there's a chance to give, there's somebody who's in need, instead of just ripping out my wallet and throwing whatever cash or whatever I have, no, purpose in your heart. Let your giving be intentional. Make giving an intentional, important part of your life. That's why we're doing this series. It's the end of a five-part thing that we have done talking about the foundations of the Christian life. We've talked about prayer, worship, serving, assembling, and here's this fifth one, giving. It is an important part of a believer's life. And just giving is not God's best. Giving with intention and purposing in your heart lights up your life of giving with passion and excitement like nothing else. I'm telling you, giving will become exciting to you. When you purpose in your heart, it's preparation for when the moment arises. Opportunity plus preparation will equal success. But here's the opposite. Opportunity plus lack of preparation will equal failure and just about a hundred other things that aren't success. I heard this great story just a few weeks ago. This was, uh, I believe it was the 2008 Olympics. There was, um, well, every Olympics that, we, that, that, that happens, um, there's a lottery done for countries that are a little less developed, some are war-torn, and they don't have the time or facilities to train athletes 100% of the time to get ready for the Olympics. So these countries won't be left out. There's a lottery done. Their names are literally pulled out of the hat, and then they're saying, hey, you have a chance to send somebody to compete in this, in this, uh, in this um, section of the Olympics, whatever it looks like. So in 08, I think it was 08, um, it's a country, I'm ashamed to say, I, I really have not even, didn't even know it existed. I've heard of New Guinea, Papua New Guinea, but this is the country, Equatorial New Guinea. Did y'all know about that one? Raise your hand. That's, that's two. One person shook his head and I kind of believe him, right? <laughs> Equatorial Guinea is a country that exists, right? It's very underdeveloped uh, and they got an invitation to send somebody to, I believe it was the 100 meter swim. There's not one Olympic sized swimming pool in the entire country, but their name gets drawn out of a hat. And uh, th this is real, you can look this up. So they send out this all call. If anybody knows how to swim well, come to the Capitol, we're putting a pool together, and the winner of this race is gonna go to the Olympic trials. So this guy shows up, his name is Eric. He is now known as Eric the Eel, a good nickname for a swimmer, right? And he's the fastest swimmer in the country. However, the guy, even after he won this competition, has still never seen or been in an Olympic-sized pool. He's never been in a 100-meter race until he gets to the Olympic trials. 
and he's on the stand with everybody else. And there's an on your mark, get set, go. And he jumps in the water and he swims the slowest 100 meter time in the history of the Olympics. By far, almost twice as slow as the slowest guy ever. However, everybody else in the heat was disqualified. So he finished the race with the slowest time ever and Eric the Eel is the winner. And Eric the Eel from Equatorial Guinea is sent to the 2008 Olympics. He's lined up next to Michael Phelps and many others. He's there for the Olympics, the actual Olympics, and there's on your mark, get set, go. And all the swimmers jumped in. And Michael Phelps finished this race and he celebrated the race. He got the gold. And then he got married and he had kids and Eric the Eel was about to finish that heat after all that. He did finally finish, and Michael Phelps is about a grandfather now. He had an opportunity, and boy, he made the most of it. And if you feel bad for Eric the Eel, listen, don't. He's, he's now actually a really successful coach. He's actually coached people in the Olympics now. But this is a good example of opportunity which comes into your life sometimes and usually when you least expect it. But there was no preparation. And at least at first, Eric Thiel's performance was a pretty big failure. But he kept having these opportunities. He did make the most of them. Now listen, we can apply this to our lives. When we give and we purpose in our heart beforehand, what am I giving here? What, Lord, have you given me that is seed? Opportunities to give will arise. And when you're looking at somebody who's in need, it doesn't even have to be your church. Listen, I love when you guys give to your church. I love giving to my church, but I'm telling you as your pastor, this isn't the only place I give. We give to individuals. We take people out to dinner. Man, that's giving. That's sowing into somebody's life. We have people in our home and we enjoy company and we feed them. That's sowing into their lives. There's so many ways to sow. And when you purpose in your heart ahead of time, you will take a big step into sowing well. And when the opportunity arises, you're going to find success. So step one, start somewhere with giving. I think a tithe is a great place to start. Number two, purpose in your heart what to give. Purpose in your heart and you won't be caught off guard and you will give cheerfully and you will see so much abundance and so much success. You won't even give based on, on who you are or what you have. You'll start even giving based on who the Lord is in your life. There's this great story uh, that goes back to the Old Testament, but King Solomon gets this visit by the Queen of Sheba. And she brings him all these amazing gifts, right? She was very rich as well, right? But she brings him all these amazing gifts. But it says when she saw the temple, the temple that Solomon was building, when she saw the palace where he lived, when she saw Solomon's riches, when she saw the way he had his house ordered with servants and military and children, it said she was amazed. And when she left, Solomon gave her way more gifts than she could have ever given him because he wasn't even given based on her need. He was giving based on who he was and what the Lord told him to give. It's great to give based on somebody's need. But let me tell you, people's needs will be met through you 
When instead of just giving based on somebody's need, you're giving based on what you and the Lord have purposed to give. You'll see more people's needs met through that style of giving than you will ever see by saying, oh, there's a need, let me give to it. Here's a need, let me give to it. You will give to needs, the purpose in your heart. Take time with the Lord. This, this takes having a relationship like we talked about in the last series, friendship with God. So if you're like, I don't, I've never had a relationship with the Lord where I've talked to him and heard his voice direct me, here's my encouragement. Find us online, go listen to our podcast. I think we did four or five weeks of a teaching called Friendship with God. And what that teaching is about, it's about stepping out of that initial salvation relationship we have with the Lord. You're my savior, I need you to save me. And stepping into what Jesus said he desires, which is friendship. There's a difference. We can go to heaven and never be friends with God till we get there. But you can be friends with him right here, right now. So if you're thinking, I've never had that relationship with the Lord where I've prayed and asked him to give me an answer, go listen to that series. You're not gonna be left behind. So step one, start somewhere when you give. You can start with tithing. Step two, purpose in your heart what to give. This is your third reminder. That does not just apply to finances. Purpose in your heart where to give your time, your energy, your effort, whatever else you got. And here we go, step three. This is one of my favorite ones. You might say, well, that negates what you just said. It doesn't really. Let me explain first. Number three is take every opportunity to give. Take every opportunity. Don't let an opportunity to give pass you by without giving something. Luke 6.30, Jesus says, give to every man that asks of thee. That's a lot. People are asking to me all the time. There's people asking to me to give on the street in front of Target, like every day now. Doesn't it feel weird to ignore people like that sometimes, right? Well, I mean, if we go back to the words of Jesus, here's what he says, give to every man that asks of thee. Here's one reason Jesus said that, because he is definitely not nervous that if we give to people, we will be short of something ourselves. That is not a thought that goes through his head. And as a believer, it does not have to be a thought that goes through our head. Well, if I give to this, I'll have a lack here or there. That's not the way we have to think. We're blessed according to God's riches, right? That's Philippians 4:19. Not even our own. I mean, when Jesus gave everything somebody had away, he said, would you like to give me your lunch to a 12-year-old kid? Would you like to give me your few loaves of bread and your few fish. Well, this kid did it. Gave away his own lunch, right? I know, listen, how many of you get mad when you're missing lunch? There's not just like you're hungry. I, if there are people in this room that I know your first, your middle, and your last name, and I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you don't think you get mad when you miss a meal, you get mad when you miss a meal, <laughs> right? We all have experienced this. This kid gave his entire meal up, but he didn't go hungry, did he? He didn't go hungry, and 5,000 plus other people also didn't go hungry. When we give, the thought never crosses God's mind, well, now they might not have enough. Because he knows where your blessing comes from. He is the source. He knows the source pretty good. It's him. 
Jesus commended extravagant giving. When Mary poured out a year's salary worth of oil on his feet, it was Judas who said, wait a minute, that's a waste. Jesus said, no, it's not. Judas made what I would consider a pretty good point. We could have funded everything with that. We could have fed hungry people with that. We could have sold it. And we could have given the money to the poor. But she just poured it on your feet. And Jesus was not concerned that there would be a lack at all. He commended her and said, she's done something that will last forever. When we purpose in our heart what to give and we give it, man, it's going to open the door to so much good stuff in our life. And then there will be times when maybe you haven't specifically purposed in your heart what I'm going to give, but opportunity arises. Jesus said, give to every man that asks. That's why number three is give every chance you have to give. But here's the kicker. When we start somewhere, step one, when we purpose in our heart, step two, the opportunities that arise out of the blue will become more of the exception than the norm in our life. For the most part, when you purpose in your heart, you're going to know, Lord, you've given me this much and you've told me to give this much away. We got these guests coming to church. I'm going to give them this much. We have, my kids have some stuff coming up. Man, Judah just had a birthday. And we, we, like, we like treating our kids good. We, we like giving good gifts to even our kids. We don't have to do that as parents, right? We could, we could do it differently. But that's sowing into their lives. We purposed in our heart even what to spend on my son for his birthday. That's even giving. Purpose in your heart. And you won't be caught off guard. But when those times arise and you're not expecting it, and somebody's in front of you asking, man, give something. Give something. And, and maybe it's not just money, right? Maybe there's something better that you can give somebody. But don't forget, you got a friend. you got the Holy Spirit on the inside who will guide you. And he'll tell you exactly what somebody needs. You don't even have to try to judge it for yourself. You don't have to do that whole thing. Well, if I give this, they're just going to go spend it on this. No, just listen to the Lord and just do what he says. Purpose in your heart and give at every opportunity to give. My dad used to always say, if you don't have anything to put in the offering today, you don't have anything. You don't have, this is before there was online giving and things like that. You know, if you didn't bring anything to give, don't let this pass you by. He would say things like rip a button off your shirt and put it in the offering. I can't tell you how many buttons we found in different drawers in my dad's office after he passed away. Literal buttons. That was always his example. Take a button off your shirt and give it if you don't have anything to give. It's the principle of giving something. What is the word going to do with the button? I don't know. We found them in a drawer, right? It made me laugh years later. It was kind of funny. So there's something. But maybe somebody here... I need, I need a lot of buttons. I got your buttons. Just come tell me. I'll get you some buttons. But he used to say, just give something. Just give something. I heard a, a writer who I really respect. My wife and I are writers um, in a lot of different ways. We write music. We write messages, all kinds of things. And um, a writer I really respect was talking about uh, what he does when he has writer's block. And he said, well, I take my computer and I go to my office or the coffee shop, and I open it, and I open up the file, and I stare at a blank page for eight hours. 
and I don't type anything. Because even if I have or am experienced in writer's block, I'm not going to take the chance of getting out of the discipline of sitting down and writing every day. He goes, some people think those eight hours staring at the blank screen was a waste. He goes, but they aren't. Because they lead to the day I sit down and write down my best idea instead of doing something else with that time. And in a similar way, man, give to everyone who asks. So you just form a habit and a lifestyle of giving. And when you purpose in your heart, along with the Lord, what you have that belongs in the ground to give, I say it every week. If you put your bread on the table, you won't go hungry. And if you put your seed in the ground, you won't miss a harvest. It's that simple. It's not just good sounding words. That's the word. That's what the word says. Don't let anybody tell you different. There is a blessing that the Lord releases when we tithe. Thank God Jesus took the curse upon himself when we don't. But there is awesome stuff that comes into our lives when we put seed in the ground. And here it is, your fourth and final reminder. I keep on going back to money and to finances because it's a great thing to use to talk about sowing and reaping, but this applies to every part of your life, not just finances. It applies to everything. Start somewhere. Worship team can go ahead and head up. Start somewhere, step one. Start to, uh, point two, step two. Purpose in your heart, along with the Lord, what is seed and what is bread. And number three, take every opportunity. I think for the most part, we will know when opportunities arise. We know when they're coming, right? A lot of times we know just from conversation. Maybe somebody's not asking for money, but we're having a conversation with somebody and they mention they have a need. Well, have you ever thought maybe I can meet that need? Maybe they've been praying for a miracle and I have that miracle right now I can go release to them? Man, when you help people out, man, there's times when they say, I've been praying for a miracle and, and, and you just gave me this. You just helped me out. Sometimes helping somebody move is a miracle. That's sowing your time and your energy. Sometimes just listening when you just don't feel like listening or when you need someone to listen to you, just listening. I tell people this a lot. If you have conversations and you hear your voice a lot more than anybody else's, you're taught too much. You got to listen. Listen and if you hear your voice more than anybody else's, back off. But sometimes we need someone to listen to us. You can't force it. So why don't you go listen to somebody else? Sometimes we are in need of friends. Go be a friend. But this isn't the person I want to be a friend with. Go sow some friendship. Go sow some friendship and watch that come back into your life. It can be that simple. If you have a need, I'm not going to say that because that's too goofy. I, was, I will say it, but just know it's very goofy. I was going to say this. It wasn't in my notes. It was about to just come out naturally, which is kind of scary. That means like after seven years of doing this, I'm starting to, to like just think of the cute little phrases like preachers do. I've never had those before. But I was going to say, if you have a need, sow a seed. <laughs> Y'all know that's goofy. And I regret saying it already. <laughs> but I'm going to say it again. Let's all stand together. 
listen, this was so cheesy and not in my nose, but let's say it together. You ready? If I got a need, I'm going to sow a seed. Or how about this? If you have a need, sow a seed. Let's say that together. You ready? If you have a need, sow a seed. Oh my gosh. Do you regret saying it? One more time, just to drive it home. You ready? One, two, three. If you have a need, sow a seed. Oh my gosh. All right, we had church now. We said something that rhymed. No, but I do love having a chance to give cheerfully. Honestly, and I'm just going to say this, I love giving to our church, right? I might pastor this church, but, but this church is my church like it's your church, right? Like this is my community the same way it's your community. I love being able to give here. I love giving, offering, and knowing that 25% of what I'm putting into our church is going to, to missions, is going to feed hungry people and educate kids and spread the gospel across the world. And I love that. And Father, we love you so much and we're so grateful that your word, it can make the most complicated thing simple. Man, I just think that's a word for somebody. If you, if you have said this phrase or you have thought this in this last season that life is complicated, I mean, I understand things do get complicated. There's a lot of moving parts in a household. And by the very definition, that means there's complications. But I want to just speak this out to you, that the word can take the complicated things and make them simple. Because when we're listening to the Lord, he'll tell us which of those complications to address at the right time. And when everything is moving together, when all those different complications are moving together in concert, man, that's what makes a watch tick. That's what keeps things in order. That's all it is. You just got to get the complications all working together and in order. And we have the God on our side who created order, who spoke the world into existence who spoke your cells into existence, the very protons and neutrons, the very God that spoke and said, we'll call the light day and it will last this long. And then we'll call the dark night and it will last this long. The God who tilted the world on the exact right axis and who put it, placed it in the perfect orbit around the star. The God who calls the tide in and pushes the tide out. Man, he is on your side and he can make the very complicated, very simple. So Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that in our, our complicated lives, you can show us what goes where. And we can live in order and we can give cheerfully in every area from our finances to our own time, to our relationships, starting with our spouses. 
our children and our friendships. We love you so much and we're grateful for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.